Do you seek the freedom to pursue greater meaning and purpose in your life? Is there something that you're passionate about that you'd like to support by giving time, talent, or money? Do you seek a level of financial freedom to live an ideal life as you uniquely define it? Welcome to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to helping you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. Welcome to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier. My name is Mike Bernard and I am your host. Like Jeff, I'm also a certified financial planner professional. This show is all about helping you discover what matters most and helping you get your actions and resources in alignment with your financial goals. We combine excellence and wealth management with the pursuit of meaning and purpose in your life. Jeff Bernier is the founder, president, and chief investment officer of Tandem Growth, financial advisors of wealth management firm in Alpharetta, Georgia, a suburb in the greater Atlanta area. So, hey, Jeff, how are things? Well, things are good. Uh, you know, just like most people in the world today, we're just trying to uh, muddle through with all the craziness around us and uh, continue to try to serve our clients well and, and have a little fun here and there when we when we get an opportunity as well. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, as, let me state the obvious. We are both financial advisors, right? We are both financial advisors, Mike. That is a true statement. And so just to check your temperature here, so you thought it'd be a good idea to have a guest on who is in the business of representing clients against their financial advisors. Is that right? Yeah, that that's it. exactly. And, and let me and let me explain why. So <laughs> uh, I am a I am a proud member and uh, of the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, and I attend a study group meeting where like-minded fiduciary advisors get together to collaborate and share ideas. And several years back, I, I met this guy who's an attorney here in town, our guest today. And he informed me that he was in the business of, of, of again, representing clients against their advisors who had misrepresented them or, 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 or um, treated them poorly for a variety of reasons. And obviously, I was sort of taken aback by that. You're at a meeting collaborating with our advisors. What's that about? And what I came to find out is that our guest today, Robert Port, is an advocate for clients and thinks very similarly the way we do and the way that we should deal with our clients and treat our clients. And he is um, he's, he's an advocate, I guess, for clients, but he's also an advocate for the fiduciary model, for the way that we do our work. So um, I just thought it'd be kind of kind of interesting to have Robert on today uh, to get a perspective from someone who's not on our side of the world but sees how things can go wrong mm -hmm. and uh, maybe give some insights from his perspective on how things should be done in terms of investments or client relationships and so forth. So let me introduce Robert. Robert Port is a partner with the Atlanta law firm of Gaslowitz Frankel, LLC. He's got over 30 years experience in civil litigation, arbitration, and mediation. Uh, the firm represents individuals, companies, investors, fiduciaries, in a variety of disputes, wills around wills, trust, estates, guardianships, closely held businesses, and as I mentioned, securities and investment uh, fraud. Uh, he has a lot of expertise in representing investors, um, you know, who have been harmed by their advisors. Uh, he's got his law degree uh, with honors from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Uh, so he's a Tar Heel. Uh, highly rated. He's a prolific writer, uh, editor of the Georgia Business Litigation, um, 
I've seen his articles many, many places. He's quoted in the Wall Street Journal and Atlanta Business Chronicle, the Atlanta Journal Constitution, a lot of a lot of pedigree. Um, also noticed he does a lot of speaking and, and continuing education. And, I, you know, I did notice that he did one recently uh, during ski season in, in Beaver Creek, Colorado. So I think he, he knows how to mix pleasure. Anyway, enough about all that. I, we could be here all day talking about his resume, but thank you, Robert Port, for joining us. Welcome, welcome, Robert. Well, thank you very much for the for the invitation, and and I appreciate the the initial sentiment that uh, you may feel like you're inviting the fox into the hen house. <laughs> That's right. But but you have uh, you you have identified what it is that that brings us into alignment, which yeah. is my belief broadly that anybody who handles anyone else's money needs to understand the F word, which is fiduciary. And I know we'll talk about that down the road. Great. Great. Well, thank you, Robert, for being here. I, I always like to start just on a personal level. Do you just um, tell us a little bit about your yourself and your family and, and obviously a little bit about your practice as well? Certainly. Um, well, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a Tar Heel graduate, both <laughs> undergrad and, and uh, law school. So I guess I'm a double heel down here when you go to undergrad in uh, Georgia and, and law school, they call it a double dog. So I'm, I'm a double heel. Uh, after law school, I was honored to, to work as a law clerk for a federal district court judge in North Carolina. And then after that came down here and I've been down here in Atlanta practicing for, good Lord, about 30, 33 years now, maybe more. Um, and, and only doing what, what lawyers would call litigation, generally lawsuits and disputes. And fairly early in my career, uh, almost by happenstance, I ended up going with a firm that defended a lot of brokerage firms. So I did a lot of defense work. I then left that firm uh, and have been with other firms. And since leaving that firm, since uh, the very early 90s, <clears throat> excuse me, I've primarily represented uh, investors who have issues with their financial advisor, their broker, their insurance agent. Gotcha. And it's an area I very much like. Um, what I often say, and I may have mentioned this to you in the past, Jeff, uh, if I had to start all over again, I would I would potentially do what, what you and Mike do. I'm, I'm sort of a planner wannabe, um, <laughs> but, but Given, given what I've done for a living, I, I need to sort of combine the two into the practice area that, that I've developed in that, in, in that field. Oh, terrific. That, that's great. Um, you know, as I mentioned to, to the audience, you and I met through the NAPFA study group. And uh, so tell me a little bit about why you attend a study group with financial advisors if, in fact, you're representing clients um, against advisors from time to time. So what what interests you in being involved in the NAPFA study group community, I guess? Sure. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you something I remember very, may, maybe in an odd way, but I remember vividly. And I don't recall how I found out about the NAPFA group, but I came across it and I thought I would attend. And I, I vividly remember my first meeting because I remember sitting there and the couple dozen advisors were having a discussion. And one of the areas of discussion was, am I charging my clients too much? And, and I about fell out of my chair because in, in <laughs> my experiences, 
Um, many of the problems I see are because uh, there is that conflict of interest with people who, who get commissions or, or have something not in their client's best interest, in, uh, but in theirs. And I, I remember coming away thinking, oh, my, you know, here's a group of people who get it. They're actually, you know, concerned whether they are charging their clients too much. And as I got into it, I understood that you... Uh, you, you, you run your practices based on the fiduciary model. We can talk a little bit more, if, if you like, about what that means from a lawyer's perspective. But I realized that this was a group of advisors who had investors' needs uh, at the core of what they were doing and weren't motivated by just what was going to be necessary to line their own pockets. Which is, which is, okay. your, well, that- which is your intention as well, Robert. And so really, Jeff, when you were making the introduction about, well, we're, we live in different worlds, so we're sort of on different sides of the table. We're on the same side of the table. I mean, if you are looking out Correct. and representing clients and, and the right-hearted fiduciary is doing the same thing, so we're very much in aligned. I, I love it. And so I, that's... Correct. That's wonderful that you've participated and continued to participate in the NAPFA uh, community. That's great. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know, not, not to belabor that, but I, I really like hanging around with NAPFA people, again, because I, I benefit greatly, given my practice area, in understanding how they view risk, how they view investments, how they view the onslaught of, of um, investment news. And, you know, you can turn on the TV and in 10 minutes, you've got 15 people telling you to buy, sell or hold 19 different things that it can just, you know, your head will explode. Um, it's an entirely different mindset with NAPFA folks. And I, I very much um, gravitate towards that, for lack of a better word. Well, that's a that's a great segue to what I wanted to talk about today, and and that is, I mentioned before that you are a prolific writer. Uh, Jonathan Clements, who is a was a longtime writer for the Wall Street Journal, has a really excellent uh, uh, blog page that you contribute to. Uh, the name of the page, by the way, for the listeners, the Humble Dollar, and you wrote an article some time back called "Everything I Learn, Everything I Know About Investing I Learned in Court," uh, which is a great title. So I, I thought it would be kind of fun to talk a little bit about some of the content there, if that would be okay with you. And um, before I set that up though, let me, let me ask you a question. Um, so what are the kind, if, to the extent you can talk about it, but what are the kinds of cases that you see that um, I guess were the opposite of what you've learned, but what are the, what are the general types of things that people need help with when they've have a bad outcome with their advisor? Sure. Um, well, maybe let me start with, with what you said last, which is just because you had a bad outcome does not mean you have a claim against your advisor or anyone else. You know, the market has risk. And if you're going to invest in the market, uh, you, if, you, if you know and acknowledge that, you, you understand and should understand and should accept some of the risk. Having said that, the, the, the things I look at sort of fall on a continuum from breach of fiduciary duty, negligence, all the way up to fraud and misrepresentation, and and at the very end, criminal misconduct. So there's obviously a continuum. Every case is different, depends on the facts. So uh, to put a little bit more um, meat on that, 
I will often see situations where people are invested, uh, what we call unsuitably or inappropriately. Their mix of investments don't match their needs, their goals, their investment tolerance, their understanding. Sometimes I will see events called or, or um, cases that we lawyers describe as churning, which is particularly for someone who's earning commissions, they will buy and sell and buy and sell and buy and sell. And the purpose principally is to generate commissions and not necessarily what's good for the client. Uh, I will often see, and frankly, I think this is happening more as investments become complicated. I will often see investments where, where frankly, I think neither the advisor and certainly not the investor understands what the investment is. Uh, I've got a hedge fund case now. I had a case a year or two ago with a mutual fund that was touted as a growth and income fund, but was actually doing leveraged <clears throat> Let me see if I recall correctly. Leveraged S and P puts, mm. you know, but but it was it was uh, they were selling puts. They were generating income, so they pitched themselves as a bond fund, mm. and it blew up. And my client and everybody else lost something like eighty percent in forty eight hours. So right. there, there's a whole range of of uh, situations, but it it comes back to me when I look at a case. And without getting into the nitty gritty, you, both of you know that there's a difference between the obligations of a registered investment advisor and, and what people would call a stockbroker, right? right? The former has a fiduciary obligation by law, which you willingly take on. Uh, and the latter, the stockbrokers have what, what we call a suitability obligation. There's been a recent change in that. Um, but, but that is an important distinction. Uh, and, and what I do first when I look at a case is to try and figure out, put my hat on, my, my hat pretending I'm one of you guys and look at it and say, is this appropriate for someone? Was this something that, that would have been done? Is it suitable for them? Is it something that somebody who had a fiduciary obligation would, would actually have, have recommended as a right. plan or an investment? Gotcha. Okay. Well, well, I'm guessing that again, your experience there as well as your interest in the investment process, because again, you mentioned that you are passionate about learning about the investment process, um, uh, sort of framed your article. So bad experiences said, let me turn it around and say, okay, this, if you don't want a bad outcome, these are the rules that I would follow if I were going to manage money as an example. So I'm assuming that was kind of the genesis of these seven things that you've learned in court on, on how to invest. Is that, is that fair yeah, statement? That, that's very fair. And, yeah. and another part of it is what I have realized after doing this uh, a while, and I realized this a while back, the, the original genesis <clears throat> of the articles goes back to, I think, 96, if I recall, okay. uh, maybe a little later. Um, but what I realized is if I am going to be someone who is bringing formal claims, whether in court or in an arbitration against an advisor, a broker, an insurance agent, I need to know the, what I'll call the right way to do it, right being in air quotes, because I can't be a forceful advocate for my client and I can't separate the good cases from the bad cases unless I know enough about investing to tell someone, yes, you have a case or 
I'm sorry, you signed up to do options trading on your own on E-Trade. I can't help you. Right, right. Well, or even if they didn't, even if an advisor didn't do what you've prescribed in these seven things, if they were fully disclosed and the client understand the risk and the trade-offs and the cost, because our philosophies are similar. Yours and mine are almost lined up perfectly. Uh, um, and again, it, the audience may say, well, that's self-serving. That's why you have him on. But, um, um, but there are other people that may disagree with your and my investment philosophy, but can still be providing advice that is based on their philosophy, but the client needs to know that. The client needs to know the philosophy, know the trade-offs, know the cost. Um, so anyway, without belaboring that any further, look, can we just jump into some of these lessons? That would be, I think sure. would be useful for the audience. So we'll just do this sort of David Letterman style and just kind of go through uh, the top seven things I learned in court about investing. So what, what's your first lesson, Robert? Well, the, the first thing I, I say is that Wall Street doesn't have a crystal ball. And, and I, I got to tell you, this, this sort of occurred to me as an epiphany. And I, I, I won't take credit for thinking of all this myself. Obviously, you know, if, if like both of you, you read in this area a lot, you, you follow the, 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 whatever they call them, the thought, the thought makers and, and other things, you know, you, you sort of start to see things. And I recall seeing a presentation by a fellow attorney who has a similar philosophy and and he, he talked about uh, the fact that everyone knows you can't predict the future. But when you turn on, you know, certain financial channels, they've got people telling you what's going to go up, what's going to go down, what's going to happen with the economy and this, that and the other thing. So so the reality is this. And when I when I give a presentation dealing with this point, I, I have a PowerPoint slide and I put up a quote attributed to Yogi Berra. And the quote is, prediction is very difficult, especially about the future. Right. And, and the point being, most people will readily understand that no one knows what's going to happen in the future. You know, whatever we're experiencing right now, most of us could not have experienced a year ago. <laughs> and if we, you know, we're not going to be able to predict where we're going to be a year from now. So, so the takeaway from that for me on investing is I, I would look with great suspicion upon anyone who has extraordinarily confident, is extraordinarily confident about what's going to happen in the future. Um, and, and for me, that, that says a couple things. Uh, number one, if they're very confident about what's going to happen in the future, I think there's one of two things. Either uh, they're, they're a charlatan or they might have insider information. The latter, uh, if you trade on it, you'll need a different kind of <laughs> attorney other than me. You'll need a criminal defense attorney. The, the other part of that, and this may get a little wonky, and I may not be able to describe it accurately, but if you can't predict the future, that tells me that stock picking, you know, that you know, I'm just going to throw out some names and I should say, obviously, nothing I say here is, is, in, is investment advice. But, you know, I don't know whether Home Depot or Lowe's is going to go up or down or both of them or neither of them next year. So, so what that tells me is trying to specifically identify a specific investment and, you know, either go all in or mostly yeah. in because, yeah. you know, X, Y and Z is going to happen. Is, yeah, is, forecasting. Yeah. Yeah. Is a loser's game. And, right. And my further takeaway from that is 
that also informs my belief, and I know your belief, that you should be broadly diversified because we don't know what's going to happen. If we, have a, if we have a broad basket of investments, the hope is some will go up, some will go down. Over time, economic activity generally goes up. And over time, a mix of investments should go up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the second one we've already alluded to a little bit when you talked about the kinds of cases that came in, but what's your number two on your top, top seven list? Um, what I what I say there is one size does not fit all, and and the point there is the analogy I make, and it's maybe not a great one, is when when you go to the store to buy you know a suit or a dress or shoes, they don't have just one size. You know they have different sizes, they have different styles. So what what I have seen in my practice is there are some advisors who have the same solution for everyone. No matter what ails you, they're going to sell you an annuity. They're going to sell you this mutual fund. They're going to sell you who knows what. Um, and, And you should be leery to the extent your antenna picks that up, that someone has one solution for for everyone. And it occurs to me another analogy might be if you go to a doctor and his solution for every malady he sees is to give you give everybody the same prescription yep. yeah. you know that that doesn't work yeah um yeah i saw i i heard a annuity salesman 20 years ago say that he did these he does he did seminars and put people in annuities and he said just to keep it simple i just split everybody's money equally into every sub account and rebalance it once a year everyone gets equal amount in every sub account. We rebalance it once a year. That's our strategy. So that's the kind of thing you're talking about. There's nothing aligned with risk and reward and risk tolerance and and their particular income needs or their financial goals. And and, and we talk about that, Mike and I talk about that a lot, about being goal-focused and planning-driven in terms of the advice. Right. And if I can, uh, one of the takeaways from what you just said is, is, one of the signals of that is if someone really doesn't, uh, an advisor, does not spend time finding out about you. You know, when do you want to retire? Do you want to retire? What do, what do you got in the bank? What are your goals? Do you have kids with special needs? you want to support your grandchildren in, in college? Whatever it is. Because folks who have a one-size-fit-all, they could really care less. All they want to know is, is what do you got to invest with them? And all right. Them. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Number three, what's your number three in terms of your lessons? Number three is wage war on expenses and taxes. And, and what, what I have learned is that over the long term, even a little bit of expense and a little bit of tax over uh, an investing life of 20, 30, 40 years can make a substantial, substantial difference in what you end up with at the end of the day. Um, and, and, you know, th- that necessarily comes out of uh, your, your investment return. And at the end of the day, what you want to have is you want to net something that's uh, more than inflation uh, and and in theory, consistent with what your risk profile is. Right. So um, I'm I'm very leery of of expensive uh, things, um, fees, charges, right. a lot of buying and selling that that'll that'll right. do taxes. And if if 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, Mike and I did a show a while back about um, not forecasting, but expected returns, because obviously with interest rates low and capital markets maybe you know fairly valued, and that's probably being optimistic uh, that they're fairly valued. They may be overvalued. Expected returns are lower, perhaps, than they have been historically, and so cost as a percentage of your return makes a whole big a whole lot bigger difference in a lower expected return world. So cost is a place where you can pick up some additional return and you almost, it's almost a necessity today with low interest rates and, and low expected returns. Right. So let me, um, and, and neither of you know, I was going to say this, but let me, let me put in a plug for the, the, uh, the model, the fee model you have. And, and what I often tell people is this, I am by nature, very frugal. Um, I use an advisor, Jeff, you know, my advisor, uh-huh. you know the structure, I suspect it's very much like yours. It is. Um, you know, deep down, if I think about the fees, it'll drive. On the other hand, what I tell people is that the fees you pay to a competent person are well worth it. I view that as my insurance premium to keep me away from my money. <laughs> and and um, because I know, even though I know a lot about this, and here I am expounding on it with two advisors, I know enough to know that I can personally probably do a lot more damage than the fee I'm charging a prof- I'm being charged by a professional. So um, I know a lot of people think they can do it themselves. Many can. But uh, part of waging war on expenses and taxes does not mean being adverse to paying for competent advice. Yeah, there's got to be a, there's got to be a value proposition, obviously. But yeah, well, thank you for thank you for sharing that. I think Mike and I would agree with that sentiment. That's right. uh, okay, so lesson number four, we already talked a little bit about when you talked about uh, forecasting and and so forth. But so, what's your fourth lesson? Uh, fourth is don't chase winners. And if, if you think about, you can, you can open up uh, any financial magazine or sometimes on TV and you'll see ads, you know, the best performing mutual fund for the last X years. And we got four stars from this group and five stars from that group. Um, that's all well and good, but you know, that's looking in the rearview mirror. And, and my understanding is that academic study after academic study shows that the probability of, of someone, a uh, mutual fund, an individual advisor beating the, the market or whatever your benchmark is year after year after year is slim to none. And in fact, you know, statistically, I think a, a statistician of which I am not would say uh, with each passing year, the probability goes down that they'll do it again. Right. So, yeah, don't don't get enamored by someone who says, oh, for the last five years, we returned X, Y and Z. Right. Uh, yeah. And, that, and that's the way many people choose their investments. They look at what went up recently and they 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 buy it. Um, so that's a good lesson. Lesson number five um, we talked about as well when you talked about these complicated products. Um, so your lesson number five is to be leery of investment products. And so let's, let's talk about that for a moment. Okay. Um, and again, this, this is where my, uh, my attorney sensibilities sort of, uh, my, my gut reacts to these things. Um, 
investments, I, I think, you know, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people are, are, are sort of led to believe that, oh, just, you know, stocks and bonds are for the common man, you know. Uh, my my brokerage firm has put together, you know, a hedge fund, a mutual fund, a, um, uh, a uh, I can't I can't think of, uh, some some other things. Um, and what, when I see, you know, for an example, an, an annuity or or a uh, what do they call a long short fund, so things like that. When when I see things like that that are sort of cobbled together. By by a bunch of MBAs and and uh, lawyers uh, sitting on on you know somewhere in Wall Street, um, I, I see things that are complicated that most people don't understand. Not even the people who put them together, loaded with fees, uh, generally pay high commissions, and rarely rarely do what they're supposed to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's my experience too. I, 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 I say occasionally, you know, that when, when they walk in with a prospectus that's 500 pages, it's a pretty good sign. You may not want it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the actuaries that created the product are a lot smarter than I am. And yeah. so, it, you know, I, I think they're likely to win more than I'm going to because they've, they've manufactured this in such a what way. What I say about things like that are the only people who read those documents are the attorneys who write them and the attorneys who litigate over them. Uh-huh. <laughs> nobody yeah. nobody get any attention to them. Yeah, that, that's like Charlie Munger said many years ago. He said the last great innovation in finance was the ATM. <laughs> so, you know, when you see these innovative products, uh, that's, a, that's a good warning. Number six, what's your number six in your list of lessons learned? Make, make sure your money lasts as long as you do. And, and this is particularly important given um, longevity now. You know, m- many people, you know, they'll retire, you know, 65, 70, they could live another 40, 30, 40 years. And, and your money, you know, you may get social security, you may get a pension, although pensions are, are becoming less and less of a thing. You, you, you're going to have to survive on that. So um, it, it is important to, to accumulate, you know, uh, you, you, in the financial world, talk about the accumulations phase and the spending phase. And, and advisors like you have uh, things like Monte Carlo simulations and whatnot that can give folks some comfort whether or not their money is going to last uh, as long as they're expected uh, to live, you know, based on actuary tables, market returns, and things like that. So, yeah. um, you know, as, as I mentioned to one of my kids the other day, uh, I, I have two boys in their 30s, and I said to him something like, you know, um, it, it'd be great if, if I won, if I won the, the million dollars in the lottery, but you understand that, uh, you know, that doesn't make much of a difference because I'm going to live, you know, another 40 years. You know, unless I keep my spending down to about twenty-five grand a year, that's not going to carry me. Not going to last anyway. Yeah. Even though it's it sounds like a huge, huge number. Yeah, yeah, and that's and and to me, I think Mike and I also talk a lot about this. That's really about that's a planning discussion. Yeah. About how to make sure your money doesn't last that you that you that your money lasts longer than you do. Uh, and then the last one is one we also talk a lot about. How, what's your lesson number seven? Um, this is where I tend into uh, giving investment advice that I probably shouldn't. But what, what I say there is tune out all the noise uh, and invest in the lo- for the long term in low cost index funds. Um, 
and and for all the reasons I mentioned, the inability of Wall Street to uh, predict the future, costs and expenses, staying away from investment products, uh, making sure your money lasts as long as you do. I, I believe study after study uh, generally shows that if you hold uh, a mix, again, a mix suitable for you, appropriate allocation to, to bonds, to equities, to perhaps REITs, in, in low-cost funds, in, in an allocation that somebody thoughtful like, like you and, and Mike would do, um, you're probably going to end up better off than most folks. And in fact, um, as I recall, a number of years ago, um, Warren Buffett uh, apparently said something like, if, if, if you get up in the morning and, and when you look in the mirror, you don't see me, uh, you should invest in index funds. <laughs> um, that's typical. That's typical Warren Buffett uh, humility there, but, but it is a good, it is true statement. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and, and again, I, let me, if I, if I got a second, you know, people will often say, well, and Warren, Warren Buffett, well, you know, he beat the market time after time. He's great, this, that, and other thing. And, and what my response to that is that as a statistical matter, somebody like Warren Buffett is an expected anomaly. Right. Um, and, and what I say to folks who tell me that is, what is the probability that today you're going to be able to find the, the man or woman who is an advisor who 30 years from now is going to be the next Warren Buffett. The probability of you doing that is, is essentially zero. Right. So, so why bother? Right. Yep. Well, and you also talk about tuning out the noise as part of that, uh, which again, Mike and I talk a lot about behavioral investing and, and you had a great podcast that you were nice enough to let me participate on that. We talked about a lot of the tuning out the noise and the behavioral side of this. Well, those are terrific, Mike. I, I think that um, those are some pretty good lessons. I, I'm, I'm sorry that um, uh, that you had some clients potentially that uh, um, had to uh, go through some difficult circumstances, uh, but you've learned some really good lessons through your research and and uh, interest in the financial markets, but also through your life experience working with working with clients. So that's, those are some really good, really good lessons and things that we talk about on the show frequently. So thanks for short sharing those perspectives, uh, Robert. I think it's really useful to, to get an outside perspective on the things that we talk about all the time. Um, and, and, Jeff, and, it's, and it's good to have a test. Yeah. If, if I could jump in real quickly, Please. Um, you know, the, the name of your show is money and meaning. And, and in reflecting on that, not not a long time and not deeply. Um, it, it occurs to me that that the type of philosophy that I advocate that that is consistent with, with what you're doing um, plays into that because I think if done correctly, if, if you let someone like you or Mike handle the finances, it, it takes a significant load off. You don't have to spend your days worrying about, you know, looking on your phone is the market up and down is, you know, my this, my that, am I going to have a margin call? I mean, who knows what it is? So I, I think, and I know you're a very big advocate, Jeff, of, of sort of melding your financial life. I may not say this the right way, but into your other core values so that, that your finances are consistent with your goals, your values. Um, and, and I think 
in some ways, the type of philosophy that we're talking about today um, meshes with that very nicely. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much, Robert. Uh, final thing, I know you, I, I mentioned you have a podcast for your your firm, and I think your firm is also pretty active on social media. So if the audience wants to find out more about you and your firm, what's the best way to, to find you? Um, well, you certainly can look at us, uh, find us on the internet. The name of the law firm is Gaslowitz Frankel. It's G-A-S-L-O-W-I-T-Z-F-R-A-N-K-E-L.com. Um, our phone number is 404-892-9797. My email, if you want to contact me directly, is rport, P is in Peter, O-R-T, at GA for Georgia, GADisputes.com. And we are on Twitter on at Estate Dispute. And that, that uh, moniker, whatever you call it for Twitter, is a reflection that a, a, a large part of our practice is dealing with, as Jeff said, uh, estate and trust issues, also dealing with, with personal finance. Yeah. Uh, so, so if they go to the Twitter, they can see, go to the Twitter uh, address, they can see your podcast and find where they can download past podcasts and, and that kind of thing as well. That, okay. That's right. Thank you for reminding me. The name of our podcast is Wealth Matters. We do a video. There's an audio out there. And I believe if you were to put into Google Wealth Matters, you would you would find it. Terrific. Well, thank you so much, Robert. Very cool. Wonderful. Robert, thank you Very so much for, for being on the program. And I would also just tell you from, this is our first time meeting, but um, from an advisor standpoint, thank you for doing what you're doing because you can see the care that you have for your clients and the care you have for the profession as well, which is really what Jeff and I uh, stay collaborative about is, is uplifting the profession. So thank you. Thanks for being on. Thanks for everything that you do. So, all right. Absolutely. Glad to. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Another episode of the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier. Hope you found today's episode helpful. I know you did just like I did. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check out past episodes or check out um, Jeff's blog at tandemgrowth.com forward slash perspectives. You can find us also on iTunes. Check us out there and give us a rating. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to help you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Jeff or Mike or comments on the show, feel free to reach out to us at moneyandmeaning at tandemgrowth.com or you can find us on the web at www.tandemgrowth.com. Jeff Bernier is the President and Chief Investment Officer at Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. This show is a production of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC. All information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Listeners should not rely on the content of this podcast as the basis for any investment decisions. A professional advisor should be consulted and or independent due diligence should be conducted before implementing anything discussed in this show. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed.
Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information prepared by any unaffiliated third party, such as guests on the podcast, and takes no responsibility for the same.